listening to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I got to tell you something, people. My guest today, I looked it up. She was on five and a half years ago. And she came into the old studio in Burbank, right down there on Victory. It was the second studio we were in. And, uh, and it was great. And so... Like I like to do after like five years. I like to ask guests to come back on to see what's up with their career. She's been working. I want to see how she's um, dealt with the industry. And now that we have COVID protocols. And my guest is Amanda Wiss. How you doing? I'm well. How are you doing? Good. It's so funny. You know, I, I, I see you on Instagram and you're at Amanda Wiss on Instagram. And you always post nice stuff. And we get we see people on social media. And you would ask me about my heart. And just from social media, we actually get to keep up with people which is uh, it's such a cool thing. I agree. I agree. And I always think about you because, and I can't believe that was five years ago that um, I forgot that I, we did it at that studio in Burbank. I forgot about that. Yeah, and I remember because at the time, you were, right after we recorded, you had just started doing a recurring on Murder in the First. Yes. Oh, my God. That was so much fun. Tell me about that, because that was something that, you know, it was uh, a few of the people who did guest stars or stars and it were on the show. And it was such a good show. And it's one of those shows that you get bummed out when it's it's uh, canceled. But how did the role come about? And did you know it was going to be recurring when you signed up? Um, I did know on that one. And uh, first of all, it's like everybody has done that show. That's what's kind of fun. It's like. It's almost like in the old days, everybody did Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> so it's like, although it's a little bit more edgy. But um, I did know, and I loved the arc and the story of playing that, you know, fading rock, you know, or faded, not just fading, a faded rock star. And I don't know, it was just kind of fun. It was different than anything that I had the opportunity to do. So it was interesting because I did know it was going to be recurring. I wasn't sure how many episodes. I thought it was maybe going to be two, but I think it turned out to be three or I, I'm not sure. And then, but when I recurred on CSI, I did not know. I just did a guest star and then they created this, you know, cuckoo crazy pants serial killer <laughs> that I got to play. So that was fun. Now, how, how does that go about? Like you go in and you, you do an episode and as you say, you think it's a one-off. And because that's what, you know, and we never know. And then all of a sudden, at the end of the show, as you're re as you're taping, do you have a feeling they're going to call you back? Or were you just clueless until you end up getting a, a call back? Or how did that work? Um, the, the cool thing about that part, it was just offered to me. But I just thought I was like playing like a groupie that had, you know, kind of an interesting storyline in that episode. And then I went home, and then um, the like a week later, they they said, "Hey, would you want to reprise that character in a couple more episodes?" And um, and I was like, "No, I was just kidding." I was like, "Yeah, that would be fantastic. Thank you." So it was it was a gift from heaven. Carol Kritzer is the casting director, and she has just been. She has been so kind to my career. Um, sorry, I'm changing glasses so I can see better. Um, uh, she's so kind to me through the years and has, has, has fought for me for roles and given me some really, really juicy, more than any other casting director. Um, and 
I'm she anyway. She just has sent me really great roles, and I'm I'm always I am always thanking her. <laughs> now, how are you adapting with COVID? Because I know the industry's changed a lot. I know there's if you have to audition, it's by video. Um, yeah. It's completely kind of like what we're doing. I mean, I feel like like this is you know you you put up a light get in front of your computer it's so strange or sometimes you you film it you know you film it you get somebody to help help you film it and then you you know upload it and send it some you know send it to the casting people it's, now, it's very different now what do you like better i mean it's what are for you what are the pros and cons for videoing and then what do you like which one do you do you prefer because you've been in um, the business and you've been working right. so you've gone through it all i think when I was younger, I loved driving around Los Angeles and going to auditions, and I loved the energy of it. But now that I'm older, I literally never want to go anywhere. So I'm thrilled that I can audition from my own house, and and um, and I hope that I I I hope it doesn't go back to the. I I think it's I like having a little bit more control over my process. Um, Although I do try to do them quickly, I don't try to belabor my auditions. I, 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 I like to try to keep it like if I was in the room, I'd maybe get to do it a couple times, you know. So I don't, I don't spend hours and hours and hours doing my auditions. Maybe to my detriment, I don't know. I know people that do spend all day doing an audition. I, I don't. Now, since the last time we've talked, you were working a lot, and then the pandemic stopped. Yeah. How is that? Because, you know, you, you, you were on a hot streak. You know, you had the Netflix, the Western movie. You were doing yeah. a bunch of stuff. And, you know, you had some yeah. horror movies. And you got you have to feel like I'm in the groove, you know, because everyone yeah. knows actors' careers goes up and down. So you're finally in the groove. And you're, you got to yeah. be feeling great. Like, okay, I'm working. I'm doing what I love. And then the pandemic hits. What, what was yeah. going through your mind? Did you think it would last as long as it did? Or were you just not sure? I wasn't sure. But I, I really thought it was going to be like, three months and then you know flu season it'd be over and we'd all move along naively obviously um and it was strange because you know badland came out like a week after quarantine started and it stayed on like the netflix top 10 for a really long time and because it was locked down it like it happened it was a big deal in the moment but the industry was shut down so it didn't do anything for me um it did help the director though the director uh justin lee ended up getting a a great manager and a a couple deals from it so uh, he's so talented that he's a, a young guy that's super talented but yeah it was just weird you know it's it's a definitely you know i had a moment of like like going Oh, this is so, you know, disappointing. But then I was like, people are dying of COVID. And I was like, I can't sit here and go, oh, poor me, because nobody cared about my movie. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, people were dying. So I I had to keep that in perspective. Now, what was it like doing a Western? Because you also did a Western earlier in your career. And so it's, it's so funny how sometimes it comes full circle, you know, and like Westerns, when you did Silverado, Westerns, you know, they, Westerns weren't real big at the time. Right. You know, they started being right. big. And then Westerns disappear. And then all of a sudden you do another Western and it's it's popular on Netflix. Yeah. 
what was it like, you know, first of all, doing that first Western and then, then doing a second one? Was it like you were revisiting the first somehow? Well, you know, I've actually done four Westerns. Um, the other two, but I did Silverado. And then I did um, a pilot for a TV series that didn't go um, called Independence about this family, um, these this these ranchers at the turn of the century. And then I did, um, I got to play a real life character in a Gunsmoke movie. Back in the day, I played Lizzie Tewksbury of the famous Tewksbury feud. And um, it was, you know, got to run around, you know, with a shotgun, defending my ranch. It was really exciting. But um, doing Badland was interesting because Jeff Fahey was cast in it. um, And he's so wonderful. And so it was kind of like a revisiting of, our characters in a way from Silverado, um, not too on the nose, but like I was Phoebe, the saloon girl, and he was the bad guy. And in Badland, not to give it away, I run a hotel. So I'm like the older Phoebe. Um, he's kind of the older how he was. And, you know, we have like a little bit of um, interesting things that happen. So it was kind of fun. It was a little bit of a walk down memory lane. And then, um, but really we were just, you know, it was fun, but doing it was, um, you know, we had that moment of like memory lane, but then it was really like, it was such a nice script. It was such a nice role for a woman. And this, again, Justin Lee, the writer director is a young guy and he really writes, um, you know, he wrote, he wrote me a really fabulous role. And so I just was like, I don't know, just enjoying that. And, um, but I love doing Westerns. I just think there's something earthy and authentic and it's not so much about how you look. Um, it's a, it's, you know, it's always about land and animals and, and family and relationships and man against nature and things like that, that are really great classic stories to tell i think and i don't know i think westerns are a great way to do that now where where did it shoot because i always think about because i know there's a there's the big ranch out like in valencia where they yeah. shot uh deadwood i believe and uh and they also shot um westworld some scenes there that's um, where we shot okay so what is that like i mean when you're going to the set every day you're going into a different world and you're wearing different clothes. I mean, do you have to get in the mindset? Because if it's hot, I'm sure what you're wearing is... They didn't have white clothes back then. They wore, like, wool and crap like that. It wasn't like, you know... What was it like just when you would go into set? Was it like you were leaving a different world, and when you left, was just like... Were you just exhausted? That's an interesting question. Um, You know, filming on a location like that that's already these towns built all around this property, you, you, it really helps you drop into a character. Um, and, uh, you know, and and as an actor, I, I think Western, not Western TV show, whatever it is you're doing, I feel like I'm almost always wearing a wardrobe, not for the season that we're shooting in. So, you know, in the winter, I'm usually freezing all day and, and I'm not complaining. I love my job. I love every minute of it. And in the summer, you know, you're, you know, you're in leather and wool and you're like, yeah, this, this is too hot. Um, but that, you know, you use it, you use it because, you know, what else are you going to do? You just file that away into something interesting to hopefully give your character some depth or something. 
Now, you've also been doing some horror stuff. Now, if people aren't familiar, you were in the Nightmare on Elm Street. And, and I have to find out, what's it like when you go to these conventions? There was just, I know you were in one in Atlantic City a while back ago. And I'm yeah. like an hour from Atlantic City. And they just had one uh, this past weekend in Atlantic City. And it right. seems like every weekend there's conventions. Now, how, I mean, when you did Nightmare on Elm Street, I'm sure you never thought that it would end up to you being... A scream queen, let's say. You know, I mean, you were one of the first, you know, and you were a role that people weren't doing as much. When you, when you, when you what was going through your mind when you got that role? Do you remember? And then looking back, now you like, oh my God, like I'm iconic, but I never planned to be that way. Yeah. Um, I just went on that audition, you know, like any audition. And at the time, I was had done quite a bit of work and my agents didn't want me to take the part they thought it they were like you you can't do a horror film you just can't it'll ruin your career I'm like well I really like the director Um, and I knew nothing about horror I still don't I don't watch horror I don't I don't know anything about horror but as an actor it's fun to play in them I've never even seen my own I finally saw I have seen Nightmare on Elm Street um but uh I did it, and no, I had no idea. I thought I was doing just this low-budget horror film, and I didn't know anything about the horror world or what becomes a classic horror film. Or I, I just didn't know. And plus, I was so young; I didn't really know the business, so I, I didn't know. And um, I haven't been to a convention in a long time, but I do have to say, um, I mean, obviously not during COVID and not much the year before, but. Uh, Atlantic City was so much fun, and 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 so much of it was closed down. But we had so much fun at that show. Um, I I went with my boyfriend, and we were in New York anyway, so we we took the bus from Port Authority to Atlantic City, and it was us and just chock a block full of like octogenarians that were coming from all over to go spend the night, and they get their free meal. Um, you know, not waiver like a little. I forget, like some sort of chit that you get a free meal if you, and oh my God, it was the best bus ride I've ever had in my entire life. We were all great friends by the time we got off and, um, oh my gosh, it was so much fun. Um, but my first convention I ever went to, I went with Robert England and Heather Langenkamp and I think it was in New Jersey. Oh, see, I'm all around your area. (laughs) And, um, they were lined up around the hotel and I I was just like, wait, what's happening? I don't even understand. Because I didn't even know that there were conventions. I mean, I mean, as a kid, my dad used to take us to, like, the fishing game shows and the RV shows and stuff. So I didn't really know what a convention was. And so I went with Robert and Heather, but I really didn't – I didn't understand the – I didn't even know what it was. I didn't know people came for autographs. I literally didn't know what I was doing there. And so when I saw the line, I was so taken back and – overwhelmed and grateful and as I am about Nightmare on Elm Street and Better Off Dead and and those great movies I got to do early on um I'm like it was all just an accident and I'm so lucky and blessed and grateful for it all like it's it's pretty awesome and that the people that love Nightmare on Elm Street are super loyal and beautiful and have really I mean it it blows my mind it's a really it's just this weird world I fell into that's just filled with love and um, 
you know, you just, I feel really lucky. <laughs> I feel really lucky because it was all just an accident. Well, last time we had, we had corresponded on email and you were supposed to do the show and then I had something happen and then you went to shoot a movie. I think you got called into the movie early. Yeah. What yep. movie was that? And uh, what was it like? Because that was during COVID, I'm guessing. What was it like yes. shooting? What was it like? Because I always try to tell people who've never been on the set about crafty and the meals, and you just go yeah. up and like, you know. Yeah, and you, you don't get that anymore. I not know. With COVID, so, everything's prepackaged and. That sucks uh, because you used to always be able to take a bunch of uh, nature bars home, you yeah, put them in your you. backpack, um, all your good stuff. Nope, not not anymore. Now, um, now, what movie was that? And tell me about the role. What I did right at the beginning, it's actually, it's, it's really fun. It's a little TV series called The Resonator Miskatonic U. Sorry, I hesitated because it used to just be called Miskatonic U. So we, the dates kept getting pushed and then I got called in early. Um, but I, funnily and <laughs> funny, um, because it was my first job during COVID and I'm, I've been super cautious and stayed home and I haven't, you know, I'm, you know, was getting tested and all those things. But my first day on the set, my rapid test came back that I was positive for COVID. I wasn't, it was a false positive and I had to go get all these other tests and everything. And all this started at five in the morning. And by the time I got cleared to come back to the set, it was like one in the afternoon and I was so stressed out and I was like, I don't want COVID. How on earth did I get COVID? I've never even left my house. And, um, anyway, I didn't have COVID, but it was very stressful and scary. So that's how I started that job. And, um, but the job is really fun. I play a professor. It's, it's, it's a HP Lovecraft universe with Miskatonic U, which he writes about a lot or wrote about a lot. And um, it's all these fabulous young actors at this Miskatonic University. And I'm Professor McMichaels and Michael Perret is the other professor. And um, everybody's not what they seem. Um, it's very sci-fi, a little bit of monster and so much fun. And it's really fun. In fact, we go back in four weeks to um, shoot one. Is that... Uh, William Butler's up uh, project. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm friends with yep. him on Facebook. I I I, yeah. I met him briefly years ago at Alex Scooby and Mo Collins Christmas party, and he was wearing yes. pajamas. And I was like, this guy sitting on the couch wearing pajamas. It's it's Christmas time. It's night, you know. But I was just wow. It's like I'm like yeah. it was weird. But what was it They're, like working? Yeah. For, what's it like working with him? Because he also he comes from a horror background, and he yeah. seems very quirky. But he seems like he works at a really good rate and is very Get let's get stuff done. He is first of all, he's a fabulous actor, and then working with him, his writing is beautiful. I love, I love his writing and his direction. I love the way he directs. He's he he's a he's a great actor's director, and uh, he's just such a hard worker. He's like the hardest working guy I've ever met or person I've ever met. He's just amazing, um, and. Uh, we're having so much fun on this show. And it's one of his shows. He has another series and then um, uh, called Baby Oopsie, I think. And he, I think he has another movie he's doing. He has all these things. And then he and I are developing another project together because I really like working with him. And um, uh, so it's fun. And then, oh, the other, I was going to say the other movie that had come out during COVID that came and went was Hunter's Moon, which... Um, you know, it was like a really fun thriller, you know, movie. And um, 
and it also they came out like within three weeks of each other badland and hunter's moon and they both like ah, it was just like such bad timing but um it was fun. that movie was fun too got to work with jay moore who i love and and uh, a bunch of fabulous young actors again um but the young actors on this tv series i think are all i think everyone's gonna know of them very shortly they're they're beautiful and talented and super professional and uh, it's gonna be it's good they're i think they all have really fantastic careers ahead of them now what's it like when you're working with the young actors because you had you had fame very early too and do you do you sit there and you know sit there and say okay you know i see a little bit of me in this person or and not not physical but mentally or how they prepare do you see that and and do you do you somewhat mentor them because you're someone who has navigated a career for a long time you know some people will do a few movies or tv shows then you never see them again i mean there's people i always say i go what the hell happened to that person and then you look them up you go oh they just stopped like i was watching some weird movie and i was like whatever happened and i'm like Hey, wait! They've like the guy who played Meat in Porky's. I'm like, what oh, happened right. to him? He just disappeared. But do you, how is it? How is your relationship with the the younger actors? And do they are they aware of the work you've done? Um, well, I adore these younger actors on our show. Um, I just adore them. They're they're just lovely. I think in general, because now you know, I play a lot of you know, in television, I do, you know, I'm the mom, the aunt, the mayor, you know, and I, so I work with a lot of young people, you know, you know, younger than me. I, it's just different than when I was young, where you were on a set and everybody sat around in the chairs and all the older actors talked and told you stories. And, you know, I come from a theater background, so I was super interested in, you know, even Marie Stane, what was it like doing Broadway? You know what I mean? Like, or Robert Mitchum, what was it, you know, these people, like I wanted to know it. And I'm not saying I'm in their category at all, but like, as it just as a young actor, I was very excited to, that I got to sit in these director's chairs between takes and talk with people. But now uh, everybody goes to their dressing room. Everybody's on their phone. You know, nobody really sits around and talks like that or shares stories. And I don't, find that very rarely has a you know have people you know want to know about my career or whatever I just think it's a different time um I think these guys have all grown up in a different generation where the information they're getting is is from their devices and I I don't know that I feel like the the oral history of people is going to like fade away because I just feel like we don't, we don't sit around and talk anymore. You know, we, we, we're all on our phones. Um, and that's not just the young people that I'm on my phone. I go to my dressing room too. We all do it. It's, it's just, it's just a different time on sets. Every now and then I'm on a set where everybody's talking and swapping stories and there's a young person there that's interested in, Oh my gosh, is that what it was like or whatever? Um, I just, uh, but yeah, I, I, there's very few people have ever, you know, asked me, you know, questions in a way that I was mentoring them, which I would love to do. And I, I feel like it's one of the perks of getting to be an old broad is like, you, you're like, I have a lot of information, but you know what, it, how it is, is great too. And it's just different. And I think, you know, times change, people change, technology is changing so fast. I just, it, I mean, you know, it, it definitely 
dictates how we interact with each other. You know, I mean, I was at a, 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 a girlfriend's house and there was like four or five of us. We were sitting around in the backyard and we were all on our phones. And I, I looked up and I was like, oh, my God, we're literally all on our phones. And what I mean, I, I have seen very few people in the last two years. And well, I'm know, like, and now I'm, I'm, I'm seeing my friends and I'm on my phone. Well, it's funny you so, say that. It's funny you say it because I got vaccinated early. And then when my wife got vaccinated, you know, we didn't do anything. I mean, our our second wedding anniversary is coming up next week. We're flying to Chicago. We went up to the Finger Lakes. We drove because it was very, not a lot of people up there last year were like, our first wedding yeah. anniversary, we can't fly anywhere. And the first yeah. time we went out was for her birthday and we sat outside. But once she got vaccinated and I was vaccinated, it was great because it was the first time we were out to eat. And, you know, and the first time a lot of people were out to eat. Yeah. And it was the first time in a very long time that nobody was on their phone. Like there was a vibe, like people were just so yeah. happy to be out and they were talking and, and I'm sort of hoping it stays that way because, you know, I was a waiter and there's nothing worse when you go up in the waiter and you see like a couple, they both be reading the newspaper, but now they're looking, both looking at their phones yeah. and, and it was just something that it, it has changed a lot. And I think the one thing like Zoom has helped during the pandemic. So many people have gotten to catch up. I had reunions with my college roommates. You know, we did it via Zoom. And I hope it stays that way. And hopefully, you know, in movie sets, the sets won't change that much that all of a sudden you can't interact with, you know, the grip or the cameraman or it's not the same. I mean, are you ever worried it's just going to change that you are now just isolated in your, in your, um, trailer and and you're missing out on that camaraderie um yeah i feel that way sometimes because i really liked the you know hanging out on the set with people between takes and stuff i think um obviously because of covid you can't do that anyway um they just you you can't congregate so um but way before covid people stopped doing that It, it really is the advent of cell phones but i i think that I mean, I prefer it the other way, but I also get things change. And because we do have all these different, we have access to all these different technologies, of course, it's going to change how we interact. And um, somebody was saying, I was talking to a manager yesterday, and she was saying that, you know, people are playing around with ideas that like directors can direct remotely and there'll only be a skeleton crew. And, you know, I, I mean, depending on, I mean, I think COVID is going to be around a long time with all its different mutations. I I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of changes. So I want to just stay really open uh, to whatever happens. And, you know, because I I don't want to be a total curmudgeon where I'm like, oh, nobody wants to sit around and talk anymore. Because it's like, you know what? There's upsides to everything. And this is the way it is. And, and, um, you know, I, it's not, it's not bad, bad. And, uh, I just, I think, uh, you know, it's just different. It's just different, but you know what? I love being on a set regardless. I love acting. I love being in front of the camera. I love drama, not in real life, but on camera. And, uh, so I'm happy on a set no matter what. Well, now you mentioned technology, uh, earlier and the technology in 
filming has changed. It used to be, you know, now digital, you don't really have to learn all your lines. I mean, I mean, you know, it's something that they can take this and do that. And back then it's like you had to do on the reel, they'd have to shoot it. As an actor, which way do you like it better? Did you, or, or do you not care? You just, when you go to your role, you're prepared to the tease and in your head, you're going to nail it every time. And if you don't, and you think you're off, you can say, you know what? I feel like I didn't do that right. Yeah, I would never show up on a set not knowing my lines. And I I am appalled by people that show up on a set and don't know their lines. I'm like, it's literally your only job. <laughs> like, like you got to go learn the lines and figure out how to say them in the world that's created so that you help tell the story with your character. Um, but I think, um, you know... I mean, I miss the look of film because just film has such a great mystery to it. But, um, you know, even the cameras now, they can make it look so close to film. And um, but, yeah, like I always show up prepared. I I just think it's not I, I like being so prepared that I can forget about it and then go play. I think some people make I think I've worked with a few actors that are not very experienced where they think it makes them more natural not to prepare. But the best natural actors prepare to the nth degree and then let all that go. And then that gives them the freedom to be natural. You know, it's, um, and besides it's, it's acting, it's not real life. And you need to know your lines because you really screw up the other actors when you're just kind of doing some self-involved, you know, I'm, trying to be natural thing and just not saying your lines. It's like, well, why are you here? Cause you now you're not helping tell the story. You're making this all about you. So, um, I prefer people that are super prepared, but I also get everybody has their own process and whether I like their process doesn't matter. I have to figure out how that we can create chemistry and help tell the story. That's the only reason we're there. We're there to help tell hopefully a beautiful story. Now, have you ever been intimidated by an actor? Like you walked in and you went, oh my God, wait a second. I got to, I got to read with this person. Does that ever yeah. happen? I know it like yeah. happens. I mean, I think any, anytime it happens to anyone in life, like even if you go talk to someone and you're like, oh my God, wait, you know, like, <laughs> I see some guy who's got a great head of hair and he's handsome. Yeah. I got to talk to this guy and I'm like, wait, you know, and it's like anything. But has that ever happened to you through your career where you just went, oh man, yeah. I'm, I'm a little nervous. Yeah. It's happened to me a couple of times. Um, the first time was with uh, Robert Mitchum. I'm, uh, Mitchum. I mentioned him earlier. And I was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> He's just I'm like, I can't believe I have to do these scenes with Robert Mitchum. But then he turned out to literally be the classiest, kindest, most generous actor. He was lovely. Um, and who – there's – guys, there's been a couple um, – and now I can't think, oh, uh, oh, I can't think of the other ones, but Robert Mitchum was a big one. And I was really young and I was like, oh, I just, it was really, you know, uh, I was really intimidated. But he, like I said, he was, he was fantastic. What made you want to get into acting? Were you a precocious kid or, or what started this career? Um, I was not a precocious kid. Um... I really uh, 
when I was little, when anybody asked me what I wanted to do, I would say I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, and then my older sister uh, went to UC, she went to UCLA, was majoring in theater arts, and I would go see her her plays, and I was like, oh, this is so cool. That that's my sister, and I know her, but I'm watching her, and I don't know her. This is so cool. And I was I was a lot younger than her, and she was doing a play in LA um, during her summer break from UCLA, and the next play at that theater, they were going to do this play called The Innocence uh, with a William Inge play. And it needed this little girl, Flora. And so they asked me to read for it because I was hanging around the theater all the time with my older sister. And um, I was in the sixth grade, I think. And um, I got the part. And then the next year, they put me in another play called The Bad Seed. Um, I got to play Rhoda in The Bad Seed. And um, and that just sealed it for me. And an agent saw me, and um, and then that's how I got started. And you know, and then I started doing um, commercials and um, things like that. But it was all from my love of theater. And then when I graduated high school, I went to to study acting. No, you said in sixth grade you did yeah. these did these plays. How does a sixth grader, how do you learn the dialogue? I mean, I know when I was a kid, I, I knew a lot of baseball stats. My mom would be yeah. like, how do you know that? But then if you wanted me to do a book report, I couldn't remember crap. How did, I mean, how did you, as a sixth grader, did you plant certain seeds in your mind how to remember the, your part and the, and the lines? And do you still use that process? Um, I, I do actually, or, or variations of it. It just depends. Sometimes dialogue just goes in so easily and other times it doesn't. And we have a block for some reason and you have to do all your tools you learned in drama school. But I have to say that was, I think kids are amazing and you can just do anything. You know, our brains are little sponges. And um, my older sister and the director said, oh, you can memorize those lines. And so I just knew I could because people in authority said I could. And so I've always memorized, and, you know, in both those plays, especially The Bad Seed, the little girl talks through both those plays the entire, you know, two hours. Um, and there were a couple of days where I got nervous, and I remember going up on stage, but I was working with these brilliant older actors who, like, just saved the day every time. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I, I would start with memorize the first sentence, Okay, now memorize the first two sentences. Now make the first three, and I just keep adding sentences. <laughs> That's like that. That helps me with a play, and also um, I do things like I say my line standing, I say my line sitting, I say my lines whispering, I say them, you know, dancing. You know, I just try to get them in my body. Um, some people do the alphabet, like write out on cards the first letter of each word, and then that's how they it triggers their you know, um, words. And, and sometimes I go, I, I'll go in a, a house that I know and I'll memorize the lines in, in, in a memory I already have, if that makes sense so that they go in. Um, so really, you know, especially like the older I get, you just do whatever you have to do, <laughs> like remember your lines. So, um, but that's always been knock on wood, uh, um, easy for me that yeah. and crying. I just never, I just, it's just part of my 
how how do you how do you cry? Like I hear people say, some people, and I heard my one friend who was an actor said, "If you ever use the was it the septic septic pencil?" Oh, he said, yeah. "He said that's that cheating." Makes your eyes burn. He said, that's "I never cheating. needed it. I just I just feel the moment and I cry. I don't know. I always have since I was a kid. Like even when I was young, they're like, get the girl that cries.' <laughs> I just and it's just it's just and it's not hard. I just I think I just can just feel the. I think I've always done a lot of um, imagination work and, you know, anybody, if you drop into your imagination, you can make yourself cry. Now, you know, um, I was just say, what part of the process, you're learning your lines, when do you start putting your character into the lines? Is that, does that come, you, do you have to be completely pretty much off book to do that? Or is it somewhere in the middle of learning your lines, you say... Okay, now I'm going to start weaving my character into it. What's your process for that? Thank you. That's a great question. You know what? It's it kind of happens at the same time because I'm the more I learn the lines, the more I discover about the character, and then while I'm doing that, I'm making up the history of the character and what's the belief system of the character. What's what what does this person want out of life? Um, and so all that's kind of happening simultaneously. And the more I know about the character, it's easier it is to remember the lines because now the lines are meaning something to me. Um, I, I think, you know, uh, you know, so I think I would, ha- I would have to say it's kind of simultaneous because it's my initial read of a script, I kind of get an idea of what the, my initial idea of the character. And then the more I learn the lines, the character gets bigger and broad, more full, more alive to me, hopefully. Although I've done really crappy work too. So like, I, I, you know, I'm not going to make it sound like I've always hit it out of the park. Cause that's not true. And I haven't, and I have a couple like stinkers that I just go, Oh God, I wish I hadn't done that. Oh my God. I'm so bad in some things, but for the most part, um, you know, I like to disappear in the characters and because it's really just all about telling the story. So, like, if I understand the story and the director understands the story, which is not always the case, um, you know, you're you become this vehicle to help tell this great story and have these relationships with people and and hopefully spark a nerve with the audience that they can relate to it or feel something that they'd forgotten that they felt or um, get moved in a way they haven't been in a while or make them think about something that they haven't thought about. And I think that's all happens when you facilitate telling the story of not just your character, which you're also telling that story, but the story that the writer intended. Does that make sense? It makes sense. But now how hard is it? Like you just said, very quietly, sometimes the director doesn't know how to tell the story. How hard is that as an actor? And I talked to I talked to uh, John Kapolos about this, and he told a story about the director just missed it, like didn't get it, and he's yeah. like, "It's not going to work." In his mind, yeah. he's like, "I can't say anything." Yeah. What is it like for you if you go on set? Because first of all, you're such a nice person. You know, I can't see you like getting pissed off on set. You don't seem like a person like, ah, you know, ah, I don't, I don't need to Damn stop. you all! <laughs> exactly. What do you do when you're on set and, and you know, and not because you're smarter than a director, you just know 
where it's coming from. What do you do when you know the director is just missing the point, but you still have to do what he's telling you because he's a director? How is an actor? How do you how do you deal with that? And when you walk off the set, are you pissed at yourself or are you just like disappointed that you didn't say anything? Right. I think mostly it's just flat out disappointing when you realize that it's you're not making the movie you thought you were making. Um, that you didn't you you signed on for something and then when you're there you're seeing that that's that's not what it's going to be. Um, and I think when actors and when anybody on the set gets pissy, I think it's almost always rooted in some sort of disappointment. Like they don't feel they're being treated correctly or, you know, it's not the movie they thought they were making. Um, but you know what? It's a fine line because there's, there's no subtitles that say Amanda would have been better in this movie, but everything around was, was like stinking. So I'll fight to some degree if I, if I think I can fix a bad scene or, you know, or really try to talk to the director to have them explain why they want me to do something that I think is not at all serving the story. And, and if they can explain it to me about why we're doing it, I'll try it. But often, you know, I, I will try to do it as close to what I wanted to do. Um, you know, unless unless you're working with a great director who's got that, but I have not had the opportunity of working with that many great, great, great directors. Um, you know, so often it's, you know, you're kind of up against somebody that thinks they know things, but they don't. And you just go, uh, and then other times you just have to go, you know what, this is going to suck. Hopefully I'll be the least smelly fish in this pile of fish. Um, you know what I mean? And then you just go, it's just disappointing. And you're just like, fuck it. You know, this, this is going to, this is going to be just another one of those ones that you go, Oh God, don't ever mention the title. I just regret that I was ever in it. I have a couple of those. So you just go and, but you know, you have to pick your battles and, and when a movie starts going South because of whatever reason, I can't save it. You know what I mean? I'm just a, a player on the chessboard, and, and if that many things are going wrong, if it looks bad, there's bad direction, some bad actors, what I do is not going to change it. Do you know what I mean? So you just go, okay, chalk this up. This goes in the super disappointing <laughs> column and, and super embarrassing. And, hope, and if it hadn't been for the internet, no one would ever see this. And that would be a relief. But... <laughs> now, you mentioned Nightmare on Elm Street. And you're also in two other cult classics, which you have to be happy. I mean, that's got to be something that you are a part of people. I mean, it, it's something. Yeah. And when you were doing the movies once again, I'm sure you didn't think that. What was your experience on Fast Times at Ridgemont High? And I still, I was just talking to someone about that. And I said, whenever whenever it's on, I'll watch it. And uh, I love seeing you, and I love seeing Robert Romanus. And, oh, I uh, love him. And he said, like, him getting the part was just, they dragged, they, he was dragged on forever. What was right. your, what was, first of all, how did you get the audition? Because you were you were doing some TV work, or what, how did you get the audition for that? Yeah, I, well, had, really powerful agents back then. And also I was just on a roll. I'd done a, but from, I was only, 
19 or 20 when I did that movie. I'm trying to think. And um, I'd already done a couple TV movies and, and some stuff. So, but that isn't why they called me in. They called me in because they wanted a cute blonde girl. And it was me and, you know, 5,000 other young blonde girls. But my, I had a powerful agent. So I think I got pushed to the top of the, the list. But um, my process was super easy. First of all, I am literally the biggest fan in the world of Amy Heckerling. She's one of my favorite directors of all time. She's one of my favorite people of all time. Um, I walk into the room. It was Carrie Fraser, the casting director, Judge Reinhold, and and uh, Amy. And I read. I start. No, I didn't even read. She was like, mm, "Don't read. I want you and Judge to just improv the breakup scene." And so we just sat on the edge of her desk, kicking our legs. I'd never met him before. And we were just like, I was just like rubbing his shoulder. Like, this is my boyfriend and we're doing this thing. And I got the part. I mean, it was, that was it. (laughs) It was pretty like super easy. And it was just so fantastic and watching everybody work because I was so young and it was a lot of the actors from New York and I, I, you know, I'm from Los Angeles. So I just was like, they're so cool. They smoke cigarettes and they're from the East coast. And I am just like this surfer girl from Manhattan beach. And, um, so I just thought like, you know, Phoebe, and oh my gosh, just everybody was so cool. And, And she was so gorgeous and she still is so gorgeous. And, you know, Jennifer's so sweet and, interesting and all the actors and Eric Stoltz and Anthony Edwards and obviously Robert and um, uh, Pam Springsteen. And the thing about that movie too, that I think is so cool. Amy just had such a great eye for picking all this cool chemistry with people was that every single person from that movie either went on to like superstardom they're like me they're a journeyman character actor that you know goes in and out of tv and all that or they left the business and are hugely successful like every single person from that movie there's just not a clinker in the whole group you know what i mean it's just like so crazy um but and you know wes craven i think did that too i mean uh his ability to pick chemistry because like when we read for that movie, you know, we all went in and read, but then the callback, like he, he grouped the the four of us, the four that he picked, he, I think he knew when he saw our, he just knew and he picked us and we all, we did an improv together on the callback. And then he told us in the room, we had to part. So I think he'd already, before we even called back, I think he just wanted to make sure, um, um, but so it's, I think it's, do you ever, do you ever watch fast times? I mean, you know, do you ever in years? I mean, I did it a long time ago. I mean, I've seen clips of it on TV, like, cause it plays all the time and I'm super proud of it, but I don't really watch myself. It's just not enjoyable to me. Um, I love that I'm in it. I love that other people are watching it. Um, it's the same with better off dead, the same with, with Silverado, although Silverado, because I'm not in so much of that movie as other people. I can watch that one a little bit more. Um, but, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't watch. In fact, for like, my television stuff, I tend to only watch it when I have to re- update my demo reel. And then I have to go and sit and watch, watch myself and try to <laughs> pick with my editor, like, 
Um, I usually let him pick them. I'm like, just pick what you think I would like. Well, tell me about Better Off Dead, too. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm so irritated. I remember I first saw Better Off Dead when uh, there was a cable network in Philadelphia called Prism. It was back before HBO was had movies. And we saw it, and we all loved it. What I hate now is you can never find it. It's never on TV. But Yeah. But Better Off Dead's really difficult. I think it got lost in some shuffle from when Universal sold their stuff to Warner Brothers and then Columbia. Like, there was, like, a whole thing, and it's... Like in a vault somewhere, and it's not available. But that's a movie where also everyone went on to do good things. Yep. What was it like shooting that? And and you said you were a California girl. Did you have to learn how to ski? I, I did know how to ski. I grew up skiing my whole life. Okay. Uh, my family was super athletic, so we skied, water skied, surfed, played football, tennis, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh that movie was so much fun. Literally, this was us up in parks or Snowbird or Park City. I can't remember where we filmed that, but we were like in these condos um, filming up. There. It was so much fun. It was we would go to dinner in the, the little condo restaurant thing, um, hang out, do karaoke or, or you know, dance. I don't even know. Um, laugh, get up in the morning, go to work, laugh all day go home, go out to dinner together, and then repeat every day. All we did was laugh. We literally had the best time, and I think that that is, you feel that when you see the movie, that we all love each other, and all we did was laugh. Laugh, laugh, laugh. And um, John Cusack and Aaron Dozier, who played my other boyfriend, were, and, you know, and then Curtis Armstrong, who I love with all my heart, he and his wife, and this whole beautiful family. Um, they were just so funny that literally I was crying laughing the entire time I was making that movie. It was just so much fun. So much fun. Now, you know, that was, you guys were all young. You were having fun. And that yeah. was before social media and all the, that no one can't do anything. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, I always think, when I think back to them, I think when I was in college, I mean, yeah, I, there's some stuff I did. Thank God there wasn't cameras. I mean, you know, yeah. but there's also thing, I think it was like, I don't know, maybe it's because the eighties, I always say the eighties are a time where like everybody was, we, there wasn't political correctness because none of us were jerks. I mean, I, I think we always respected each other and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I just was in a bubble, but how do you, I mean, do you think if you had been now, if you were young in these productions, do you think your life would have been different? Do you think that, you know, the the media they just they pick on people like you know someone could possibly say oh great another blonde in this role do you think that would have i mean how do you look back on that and say thank thank god you did it back then yeah um oh so yeah 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 to all of that a hundred percent i i just think um i i just think it's so hard i have i don't have children i have a lot of nieces and nephews and just the things that, and they're, they're, you know, like economists and, and, you know, um, high speed trade code writers and, and all these incredibly intelligent things, but they still all this pressure on social media. I think I would, I mean, I, I, I think I would have been chewed up, spit out. I, I think it, I would have been crushed by the bullying and the negativity. I think it's hard now, you know, I'm on social media cause you kind of, 
I feel like I kind of have to be. Maybe I'm wrong about it. Maybe I don't have to be. I don't know. Um, but people write mean things all the time. Oh, my God. I, I mean, literally, I've been called the C word. And I'm like, really? Like, I don't even know you. And you're probably living in your mother's basement. And you just called me the C word. Like, what? So I think as a young person, that would have crushed me. Now I'm just like, I'm always taken aback by um the bullies and I'm like I'm, I'm an old lady why are you picking on me that makes you doubly gross <laughs> but I think um I think yeah as a young person I think it would have I I think I was a little bit wild and I think I would have just been it would have been a catastrophe <laughs> I'm just gonna say right now it would have been a, a freaking catastrophe and I'm so glad that I got to do all my nonsense in total anonymity and, yep. you know, and in the comfort of just the embarrassing situations I was in, <laughs> I agree. just, just I agree, the, the private comfort of my own shame. <laughs> now, you're, you're like any actor, you know, people don't understand this. Um, I talk to people because I'm back in New Jersey. I haven't been around Hollywood now. I was like, oh, my God, you interviewed this person, you interviewed this person, blah, 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 blah. And I always try to tell them that, you know, unless you're a superstar, most actors are just normal people who are looking for a good job. I mean, in all honesty, unless you have, even if you have a series for like four years after that, you know, we both know people who had series and then nothing. Yeah. You've had hills and valleys. Every actor has hills and valleys. What has, what has made you stick with it? And when you did get frustrated and it felt like you wanted to walk away, what pulled you back in? Um, I think it's just, it's the only skill I have. <laughs> I don't know what else I would do. I've been doing it since I was a kid. I love it. Um, I'm really good at it. Not to sound totally arrogant, but I'm really good at it. Um, and it's always frustrating when you're not working. And especially like the last couple of years when they're like, it's all the roles are for middle-aged women. And I'm like, yeah, if you're Nicole Kidman. She's doing 17 TV series. They're not, they're not coming down the food chain. So there's frustrating things like that, um, that people are like, we're casting all these middle-aged women. I'm like, you're casting the same middle-aged woman and everything. Like, there's more of us out here. Um, so that's frustrating. But that aside, you just do it because you love it. Like, you're, you're really early on, somebody told me that this isn't a career you do for, um, how did they say you don't do it for security. You don't do it for validation. You really got to just do it because you love it. Because the the rejection, I mean, it, it, I kind of, I, my skin is so tough from the rejection because I've been doing this for so long that I, I, I just get like next, you know, whatever. Um, but, you know, that you, you put up with a lot of rejection. There's a lot of negativity just of, you know, people like why you didn't get a part. You know, we don't like our teeth. Or, you know, whatever. Like, people will just say these weird random things and you're like, you suck. <laughs> but um, I think, you know, you just got to do it because you love it. And I think that that really just comes down to it, is that I love it. And honestly, I have no other skills. Yeah, I'm sure you do. I mean, I always say, you know, there's two things. If you can act, I always say if you've been an actor or a waiter, you can do any job in the world because yeah. they're both sales. I mean, yeah. you, you're, you're selling something and the audition process and the rejection. Now, for you, do you think, you know, in your career, have you seen the roles and the better roles for women 
I mean, you mentioned the middle age thing, but have you seen the roles becoming more meaty and better for women? Or do you think that it's still somewhat at a status quo from like, let's say, not the 80s. I mean, what do you, what's your view as an actor who is out there seeing and auditioning and also getting cast and stuff where you see right. the material? What do you think of how that's changed? Well, I think I think there's more female content makers, so they're creating, you know, more female-driven um, TV shows and movies. And I also, there's just this proliferation of networks. I mean, there's how many networks? Isn't there like a thousand networks now? So just by sheer odds, there would need to be more roles for women because there's literally, like every day I hear of some new network that I didn't know you could buy. And there's somebody famous doing a series on. I think, um, I do. I think, I mean, you know... I do, I do, I do. I think that there are more. I don't, I haven't really experienced like a windfall of more roles because of that, but I know they're out there. Do you know what I mean? I just think that they're going higher up the food chain than I am, which is fine. I mean, the, everybody has their own karma and where they're at. And I don't, I, it's all, you know, and who knows, that could change for me tomorrow. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, I'm sure somebody feels that way that I'm doing the Miskatonic U. They're like, how did she get that part? I should be doing it. You know what I mean? So, uh, but I don't, I don't begrudge other actors their parts. It's just, I, I think um, people need to make money and bigger names sell more products. <laughs> One final thing. Tell me a really good memory in your career of a set. Tell me like, just tell me, you know, one of those, you hear stories sometimes that like people, I, I had a, uh, Dan McManus, Don McManus on the other day, who just had wonderful, wonderful stories. Tell me, tell me a, a feel-good story about being on set or getting a role that just made you really ecstatic. Well, I have to, the most fun set I've ever been on was Silverado. And it was just so, every day, uh, Kevin Klein and Jeff Goldblum are hilarious and they would, their whole goal in life was to make Lawrence Kasdan, you know, laugh until he couldn't speak. And they did it every day. And um, every Saturday night after rap, we were all in New Mexico. There was a Motown dance party at somebody's house every Saturday night. And everyone went. And everyone had a beer and danced all night. And then it was just literally one of the most inclusive, fun, loving sets I've ever been on and that starts from the top down and all the actors were lovely and and all it, it, it was just it was it was magic it was magic it was so magic that Brian Dennehy said to me one day really take all this in and enjoy it because it's never like this and it's true I've never had that experience since I mean I've I always have fun on a set I love what I do and but there was just, it, that was just magic in the air, magic in the people, magic in the little town. And, um, and then Saturday night dance parties, everybody went all night long, danced all night long. And also a lot of fun celebrities were coming in to visit all the other actors that were there. So, you know, there'd be Diane Keaton dancing next to you or, or, um, Joyce DeWitt from, you know, and like, I mean, I can't even name all the people. And um, 
it was magic. Well, that's awesome. You know, I want to thank you for uh, coming on, Amanda. Now, I know, are you still tweeting? I know you're on Instagram a lot, but do you still yeah. tweet? I still tweet. And that's at Amanda Wiss, people, and it's Amanda W-Y-S-S. Yeah, I think it's underscore Amanda Wiss on Twitter. Okay. So yeah, people... but yeah, W-Y-S-S. And then Instagram, I think it's just my name. And then my Facebook is just private, and it's just my family, so nobody's really on there. So people, go go, go check out her Instagram and Twitter. Go look at her IMDb. See her, some of her old movies. There's just some great work in there. Um, go to my website, uh, coopertalk.net. You can find over 870 episodes there. Email me, oh cooper, coopertalk.net. Twitter, I'm at coopertalk. Instagram, I'm at coopertalk1. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next time. Thank you, Amanda. 